Trump is officially served with a subpoena from the January 6th committee and his lawyers and supporters tell him he should testify. There's no way that coward is going to <laughs> Stronger than expected, GDP numbers are out and gas prices are down despite MAGA Republicans trying to harm the economy and demoralize consumers and gas company price gouging. Let's just stay the course and fight for our economy and fight for our country. Uh, the Fetterman and Oz debate showcased a courageous stroke survivor versus a phony snake oil salesman who believes a woman's right to choose should be between a woman and her local politician. That's a direct quote from what Oz said during the debate. And early voter turnout is very high among Democrats and the pro-democracy coalition, a promising sign, but we need to spread the message, vote, vote, vote. This is the Midas Touch Podcast. Ben Mizell is joined by Brett and Jordy Brothers. How are you? Doing great. It's always great to be here on the pod. Man, we've had some great shows recently. A lot of really good energy. Uh, a lot of good news coming out. But, you know, we got to fight every single day for this. Uh, I mean, let's face it. We have the wind uh, against us right now from the media, from the pundits and everything like that. But there is news to be happy about and, and in words of encouragement here. And I think we need to keep pushing forward and understand that the only polls ultimately that are going to matter is us showing up on election day and proving all these naysayers wrong, not giving into the negativity, showing up in numbers greater than ever and making this happen. Too much is on the line. These elections are so, so, so important. So we just need everybody to just be energized right now and excited. Well Jordan? said, big bro. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you got to just get out the, all the outside noise, all those Debbie Downers out there who who want to tell you, oh, you know, it's, it's really the doom and gloom Democrats for me, man, that just infuriate me to a, to such a high degree because you see the work that you know we're putting in every day you see the work that everybody all these great groups are putting in every day to push democracy forward all of you the mightiest mighty and then you see these doom and gloomers out there who want to tell you the world's on fire look get out there go vote november 8th let the results speak for itself well, the issue to me, Jordy, on the doom and gloom mentality is that you're playing right into the hands of what the MAGA extremists are trying to do. They're trying to demoralize you. Their tactics, I feel, are so obvious in how they're trying to demoralize you. And so when I see people buy into it and then buy into the both sides-isms, it is beyond frustrating. But you channel that frustration into positivity and you make sure that you stay the course. You make sure that you let people know the importance of what is taking place right now in this country. And you let people know that they need to vote. We're going to talk about some of the issues here. What's at stake right now in this country? And, you know, I think about it just talking about the very survival of our democracy and the uh, complete abuse of our legal system, the complete attempt to destroy our constitution by Trump. You know, as we were recording this, we are learning news that Donald Trump's lawyers were leaving 
federal courthouse in Washington, D.C. They were there on the Mar-a-Lago search warrant case, which is interesting because those proceedings had mostly taken place before Judge Eileen Cannon in the Southern District of Florida and before the special master in the Eastern District of New York. But what we can't forget is that ultimately the grand jury that is investigating the criminal conduct of Donald Trump stealing these top secret sensitive compartmented documents and tens and thousands of other government records, that that subpoena actually originated the May subpoena to get these records. And the grand jury that's investigating the crimes is actually out of Washington, D.C. And you look in that courtroom in Washington, D.C., of all the various matters that are taking place. And like as you walk down that hallway in court, it's like the survival of our democracy is on display in that courtroom, right? So you have these proceedings with Trump lawyers trying to justify Trump stealing our nation's top secret records, trying to throw the kitchen sink of executive privilege. And these records are mine, mine, mine. And Trump claiming that the, even though he didn't go through a presidential records act process, that they belong to him and trying to do everything to obstruct. And you got you know, his allies and agents like Cash Patel, who bragged to Breitbart. And there's a May article where Cash Patel's like, yeah, Trump classified everything related, declassified everything related to Russia. I was there when he did it. He declassified all these things related to our national security interest. I was there. Then Cash Patel is called before that grand jury in Washington, D.C. And what does he do? Plead the fifth, plead the fifth, plead the fifth. So are the Trump lawyers there because of Cash Patel? Are they there for other privilege? But you got one grand jury dealing with Trump stealing like nuclear secrets, top secret information, information about missile systems of foreign countries, like real, real, real crazy stuff going on there. And then across the hall, you have the January 6th. Uh, committee grand jury. You got the grand jury investigating election interference related to January 6th, ins you know, insurrection related stuff. And you have there Trump, be Trump basically not allowing his lawyers to testify claiming executive privilege prevents the lawyers from testifying there. And so the Department of Justice has filed motions and successfully in many cases, we're waiting on a ruling on Pat Cipollone and Patrick Feldman, those lawyers, but they've compelled Mark Short, former vice president's former chief of staff, Mark Short and Greg Jacob, that that executive privilege doesn't apply to them. Um, and now they're moving to compel the testimony of of Philbin and Cipollone. And then you go down the hallways and you've got the Oath Keepers seditious conspiracy trial. You go down the hallway a little more. You've got an individual who was just sentenced to eight years for uh, attacking Michael Fanone, Officer Fanone, and saying, I got one and pulling him out. And Fanone was testifying. You've got a proud boy pleading guilty to seditious conspiracy in another room. Like, that's a buffet of, like, our democracy on the line there is what's going on. Yeah, no, it's truly incredible. And that's why... You know, I urge people to have a little bit of compassion for the attorneys at the Department of Justice. Just think about all the work that that takes with their staffing to conduct all of those cases, to be doing everything that they're doing all at once. Think about the hours that they are working to protect our democracy. And and do I want things to happen much quicker across the board? Yes, of course. But that is a lot to be on the plate of those people in that one building. I mean, it's truly incredible. In when one day. Like that, man. 
in one day that's all taking place. And on the same day you have, you know, Trump officially being served with the subpoena from the January 6th committee. And one of the most interesting things, though, is you had Alina Habba. We got to play this clip of Alina Habba. So she goes on one of these right wing networks and Alina Habba says that uh, Trump uh, sh Trump should testify in response to this. Being if he's got nothing that this is Trump's own lawyer saying that he should testify before the January 6th committee. But I want you to play it. And there's one part of it that I want to focus on, though, after we play the clip, play this clip of Alina Habba. You know, he's got a couple options here. He can ignore the subpoena and maybe run into Bannon world, or he can go and plead the fifth, or he can go and, and testify. Any idea what you think he's going to do and what would you recommend? I would recommend that he cooperate because when you have nothing to hide, that's what I always recommend. The same reason that he always uh, comes out and, and speaks on any of my cases. He um, has no issue being deposed, even though the left-wing media would like to pretend that he does. He has no issue being subpoenaed and answering questions about what happened that day. And, and he shouldn't. Um, what he did was very public. You caught that, Brett? He always speaks on my cases. She's not the lawyer in that case. And so she's saying, well, he would always speak on my cases. And so she's upset that also she's not the lawyer who's going to be defending him in connection with that subpoena. So that was one piece of it there. Then when she goes, oh, the left-wing media always says he doesn't want to be deposed. He literally files motions in court that like you filed that other people filed to avoid having his deposition taken. It's just the ultimate gaslighting. But it's the one thing I agree with her on, though. If he's got nothing to hide, he should testify, huh? Yeah, testify. And and I mean, now it's funny because you have this chorus of voices on that side saying, oh, of course, he's testify. Oh, Donald Trump, he's a real tough guy. He's not afraid to get out there. It's the liberal media that's lying about it. It's like, OK, well, Donald Trump has a choice. He could go if he's truly not afraid to testify in front of the January 6th committee, then he's welcome to testify. But clearly he's not. He could put it out in Truth Social. He could put it out in his weird press releases with his fake presidential seals. He could do all he wants. But at the end of the day, you got to put up or shut up. And as of now, he's just yap in his mouth. He won't. The guy won't shut up and he won't testify. His actions speak louder than words. And this scapegoating the entire time of going, oh, it's the liberal media's fault. The liberal media is the one pushing this whole narrative that he won't testify. So at what point do you give it up? But I guess when you have these propaganda stations like Newsmax, which is the channel that Alina Habba went on to uh, spread the fake information once again and then spread those lies about Trump. Uh, when you go on Newsmax, you don't get checked on things like that, which is why they love going on shows like Newsmax. But these people are just incredibly corrupt. They have no spine whatsoever. Donald Trump is incredibly weak. What he's trying to do with the subpoena now is obviously just run out the clock, hope that Republicans win the midterms, hope that this January 6th committee is basically over with. And but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the DOJ is going to come for him regardless of whether he testifies or not right now. So the ball's in his court. His ego is so fragile. I'm going to disagree with you brothers on this one. I think he'll testify. So I right. think he thinks he's so absolutely, smart. Absolutely not. So I right. think so. Well, only time will tell. I think he I think he thinks he's the smartest person in the room every room he sits in. I think I think he could be baited into testifying with all the media coverage out there saying he's not going to testify. He's too scared to testify. He only hides out on Newsmax and Fox and OAN. He only hides behind these people. He's not brave enough to do it. And I think, I think we could be the ones to bait him in. I, well, I, I, we, we did a video to bait him in, but let's, we'll play the video in a second, but play this clip also of Sarah Palin, who also said uh, in a recent debate that she believes Trump should testify also. 
The January 6th committee voted unanimously to subpoena former President Donald Trump. In your opinion, did they make the right decision? And do you believe that Trump committed any crimes in regard to the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol? 45 seconds for this question, and Ms. Palin, you are first. Knowing President Trump, as I do, he's probably saying, bring it on, subpoena away, because he has nothing to hide. And no, I don't believe that he committed a crime. I think that uh, the media and um, those who are obstructionists to uh, so much of what Trump represents, I believe that they just want to hang on to this thing and keep stirring it up. They got it. They got to hang on to something because it can't be his policies that they slam and that they are against. Look what his policies did for our country. I love this notion that Donald Trump is all of a sudden some sort of policy wonk. Like, first off, what policies did he do? He didn't do any policy. The only successful policy that I'd give him, if you want to say anything, was a massive tax cut for billionaires at the expense of the working class. I mean, that's the only thing that they could actually be proud of. And it was incredibly destructive to the economy and ran up the deficit like crazy. I mean, it flies in the face of everything Republicans claim to stand for, which is being responsible with the budget, being responsible things. And then I guess what? He, he, he built part of a wall that and part of it fell down and he claims that he built the wall. Like, what are they even talking about? And once again, it's gaslighting. Uh, they call the, the media obstructionists. They call Democrats obstructionists rather than the fact that Donald Trump is the guy who's been obstructing justice the entire time. Uh, you just got to call these people out. And it's like uh, enough, like this tough guy image of Trump. Is anybody even buying it at this point? Yeah, Jordy, that's why you're so wrong, because he really is too cowardly to show up. He knows that he would perform horrible. He knows it would be embarrassing to him. He knows he would be exposed and outmatched. Uh, there's zero chance that he will testify before the January. And that's 16th. why he is saying this. That's why he's putting out, I'll testify if you do it live. Uh, you know, if, if, if you make a live show out of it, I'll consider testifying. He throws things like that out because he knows that's not a scenario that anybody's ever going to accept where he's just going to have a platform to just kind of spew lies and, and just, you know, make it the Donald Trump show and not an actual proceeding. And so he throws out that so he could say, what? Uh, well, I said that I would I would consider testifying if it was live and primetime or, or whatever. The fact is, he's never going to do it. That being said, you know, we could have a little fun with it and we could prod him a little bit. We could poke the bear a little bit because we know when Donald Trump's back is against the wall, he makes bad decisions. He says things that he shouldn't say. And so we could do everything that we can here at Midas Touch to goad him into testifying by using the language that he understands. And so we at Midas Touch, which Jordy was alluding to, we made an ad called Trump is Scared, which I think tar targets his exact uh, insecurities about himself and his fear of testifying. And we'll play it for you now. What's the matter, Donald? The January 6th committee subpoenaed you and you're not going to show? You said you're such a strong man. You aren't a coward, are you? You aren't guilty, are you? Are you that afraid of Liz Cheney? They say you threw hamburgers at the wall. Well, your supporters know you would never waste a good hamburger. Oh, please. Won't you come testify, Donald? Unless you're scared. Midas Touch is responsible for the content of this advertising. I love that spot so much. I, I, I really do. But, you know, I, I, 
I, I think we have to play that Amar Lago. I ultimately yes. I think we got to beam that into Mar Lago. I think it needs to play on his TV and I think it needs to drive him nuts because I think there is an importance of driving this guy absolutely nuts. I think there's an importance of getting him to say more stupid shit and, you know, just goading him into, you know, may, may, maybe Jordy's Hail Mary would be right. Maybe we do get it to testify. Let me tell you what Trump was going to do instead. He's going to hold his rallies and spread his disinformation. And that's precisely what he's announced. He's announced that he's holding a rally with Marco Rubio on November 6th. He intentionally left off DeSantis and he's been posting on his failing social media platform, these posts that talks about how DeSantis owes his entire political career to Trump. He's been talking crap about DeSantis for endorsing people who Trump didn't endorse. Um, and he's going to hold this rally. And it's going to be interesting because it's going to take place right before the election in Florida. You know he's going to say some, you know, as we've always been covering these rallies, just some vile and disgusting stuff out there right before the election. DeSantis is not invited to it intentionally, which is why Trump is doing it. And it really is a, a an important message that, We've always talked about here, but like the DeSantis's and the McConnell's and and whoever, for you to be a Republican today, you have to pledge a like allegiance and loyalty to the cult. And if you don't, he will intentionally show up like he's about to do on November 6th there for Rubio. And I bet you that he says negative stuff about DeSantis. What do you think, Brent? Yeah, I mean, I, it might even be subtle. Like, I, I doubt he will even, you know, call out DeSantis by name, but I think it will be subtle jabs, maybe by talking about some of his endorsements and maybe speaking about disloyalty and, and things like that. But you know that Republican consultants and people around DeSantis are, are really pissed about Donald Trump's appearance here. Uh, you know, they see it for what it is. It's a complete slap in the face to him, and it's a complete kind of move to say, listen, this is my party, not your party. And I think this coming right after that Charlie Crist debate uh, where DeSantis got absolutely hammered by Charlie Crist and looked like a complete weakling out there, I think Donald Trump smells blood. And and I think that he is going for the kill with DeSantis. I think he views DeSantis as a true threat. I think he thinks that DeSantis has been disloyal and that, like he said in that Megyn Kelly post that he retweeted, um, basically saying that DeSantis owes his political career to Trump. So you you have one Republican consultant on the record saying you've got this Sunday before Election Day totally hijacked by Trump parachuting in on Trump Force One, taking up the whole day. No Republican could go to a DeSantis event that day. None. And DeSantis won't be here. And another person influential in the DeSantis space said this was a, quote, elbow to Ron's throat. And mm. we're blaming Trump advisors, as we always say here, let them fight um can we I, make a rule here though on the midas touch podcast not to call the airplane trump force one and use that name can we I just call it motion for sure <laughs> it was a i was i was quoting this republican consultant and, and so <laughs> if, if, if it were if, if it were me uh if it was a brett quote i would not use that term and let's just let's just put ourselves really quickly too though in trump's deranged clown shoes if you can even think about that the reason he's doing this and I, we've obviously been talking about it but to just really take it home is he doesn't want DeSantis to, to be the governor of Florida for the sole reason that when DeSantis runs in 2024, he could turn around and say, hey, look, this guy wasn't even good enough to be, you know, the governor for a second term in Florida. How can how can he be president? 
when DeSantis inevitably takes on Trump in that GOP, uh, whatever you want to call it. I think that Trump just really wants to weaken DeSantis. Like, I don't think he would care. You know, I, 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 I don't think he cares that DeSantis is going to win or not win Florida whatsoever. I think he just wants to weaken him and mortally wound him the same way that he did with every other Republican on that debate stage uh, in 2016. Uh, he went after them one by one, mocked them ruthlessly, including Marco Rubio, who is the guy who is uh, appearing right by his side here. Just a disgraceful shell of a human being. Marco Rubio, who was mocked ruthlessly by Trump, but Trump went one by one during that primary. Lion Ted, Marco with his time. What did he say about Marco? I don't know. He, made, he mocked Marco like the entire time for every little thing. Um, Chris Christie, Jeb Bush, like he, he destroyed all those people and mortally wounded them because they're offended by the silliest things in the Republican Marco Party. Marco Rubio like, was little Marco. Little Marco, um, Lion Ted, uh, the, Ted Cruz's dad killed JFK and is the Zodiac Ted killer. Cruz, Ted Cruz's Zodiac killer. But Ted Cruz, the Zodiac killer. But like, if you have any sort of scruples whatsoever, you don't just like take those insults and then go, oh, I support you now, buddy. You fight back. But all these Republicans ended up just taking it and started just playing kind of side piece to Donald Trump here and just going like, oh, yeah, you're, you're the man. Keep up the great work. And they've given him this power. And now he's using this power to destroy them even further. And they're letting it happen. And DeSantis is one of these people who helped build this Trump monster for his own personal benefit. Once again, we speak about how they all sort of like riffed off one another mm -hmm. um, in the pursuit of power and in the pursuit of money. DeSantis had that ad when he was running for governor the i taught my kids how to build the wall what are you doing son build the wall he did he really did build this whole persona off donald trump and now he's going to try to go after donald trump and he's going to learn the hard way that that's not going to work out for him as he has planned if that's really his if that's really his move oh i agree and and you watch him at that debate you know he is a weak scared individual who cannot even pretend during the debate that he has any integrity or that he could, you know, even stand there. It was funny. There's a, a coworker, a coworker of mine had the funniest analysis of DeSantis. They go, you know, DeSantis is never going to be the president. You know, I said, I agree with you, but let me know more. And I thought I was going to get a detailed analysis. Like, listen to his voice. Like, who talks like that? <laughs> I said, that's a funny way of assessing it. Go, that's not a presidential voice right there. Um, but it, it's always <laughs> something that's that stayed in my head. But when I watch the debate, you look at him with all his weird face gestures. He's like not a confident and secure person. He's like so insecure. He's like, he, you see all of his pathology. He wears it on his sleeve as he's standing there on the debate. And I want to get to some. I want to get to some good news, though, and some good news to report is that the GDP here grew at 2.6%, which is better than the 2.3 expected. And by the way, if Biden would have hit what was expected at 2.3, you know that the headlines would have been like disaster, oh, crisis, yeah. you know, not exceeding like, you know, you would have got all of that. So that is very good news. Gas prices are dropping again. It's down about a buck 26 since the summer and down over the last three weeks. The most common pump price is down from 379 to 339. The 
national average is really now like almost within pennies of the 2022 low. And there are more states now at 349 and lower than, you know, anywhere else. So that's good news. And you also had President Biden travel to Syracuse, New York, where Micron's pledged to invest $100 billion over the next 20 years to build American factories that make semiconductors in Syracuse. This is a part of the CHIPS Act. I mean, can we talk about just the CHIPS Act for us? I mean, we could talk about any pieces of legislation here. You know, we could talk about the Infrastructure Act with Trump brag, infrastructure this, infrastructure week, and just couldn't execute. Biden comes in there, has the has infrastructure, actual infrastructure history, like not just infrastructure week, just makes infrastructure a major part. And then he goes and does the CHIPS Act, which in addition invests over $50 billion in the semiconductor industry here in the United States and makes that a major priority. I mean, actually, America, what America first really means and bringing jobs here in the United States. And, you know, lots of the other stats basically show, too, that you know, inflation is going to be stabilized based on the Inflation Reduction Act and the steps that Biden's actually took to fix things, not make it worse, not pretend that it isn't real. And that inflation is going to be stabilized pretty soon. Like in the next six to nine months, it's predicted that inflation is going to be, you know, stabilized and things are going to get back yeah. to normal. Can I tell you what? I mean, if it was Trump, though, and it, which Trump caused inflation, by the way, like, let's be clear where this is coming from. It comes from when you cut taxes by trillions of dollars that you can't pay for it. And then you do a PPP program that is completely administered in this defective matter where you literally just throw money everywhere. And then you have the supply chain issues that are caused by COVID. You combine all of those factors together. I mean, look what happened at UK when Liz Truss basically says, let's cut the taxes now for the richest people in the country during the current economic supply chain issues. That's what's going to happen. It's just supply and demand when you break when, when you break it down. So Trump did all the wrong things at all the wrong time, creates the situation. Biden comes in difficult situations to fix it. But if this was Trump with inflation, he would basically say, no, it's not real. It's China's fault. Let's do a trade war with China. Let's let's go It'll further into a trade weeks. war. Let's declare a trade war. <laughs> he would declare trade wars on people we don't do trade with. He would go, let's do a trade war with Iran. Like, just make things up. We'd be like, yo, we don't have trading relations with them. It doesn't matter. Trade war declared. Inflation isn't real. This isn't even a real thing. This is media propaganda. That's what would happen. You know what would happen? If Trump was the president, we would be in a Great Depression right now, period, full stop. I Do you have any doubt right now that if Trump was the president, we would not just be in a recession, we'd be in a Great Depression right now? That's where he was taking us to. Oh, I, I, I agree, because the U.S. actually started entering a recession because of Trump's policies, even right before COVID hit our shores. Um, so we already saw the workings of that. I mean, a lot of people tend to forget that. Then, of course, COVID was a historic disaster, which wasn't Donald Trump's fault, but the mismanagement of COVID certainly was Donald Trump's fault. If we had a president who actually took COVID seriously, uh, we would not be feeling the ramifications in the same way. Sure, things would be bad. 
I'm not saying they wouldn't be bad, but they wouldn't have been nearly as worse. And there would have been at least hundreds of thousands of people still alive today, still at your dinner table today, if not for Donald Trump. And I think that's a fact that people kind of gloss over and people now there's kind of this narrative forming on the right that I've noticed where people try to act like Trump handled COVID perfectly and Republicans were the one who had COVID right. Don't, don't you see this all over the bank? Mm. The Republicans had a right. They, they, kids should have been going to school the whole time and we should have had everything open and we should have had large crowds and everyone should have just gotten it right away. Like, I, I, I don't understand how you're trying to take that framing of it when they were the people who prolonged this thing and really threw our economy into disaster. Meanwhile, if you look at actually how Biden is managing inflation, how Democrats are managing inflation right now, com comparatively to other countries, we're doing a pretty damn good job. And I know that doesn't help. It's not really great messaging because at the end of the day, someone's going to care about, you know, I'm spending X amount of more dollars on a product than I was last year. And that still hurts me. I don't care what's happening in other countries. But the fact is, is that the United States has lower, has a lower inflation rate than at least a hundred other countries. And I could read you some of the top ones. They were show, showing these charts on TV the other day. So I have one here. Turkey has had an 83.45% global inflation rate. Jeez. Argentina, 83%. The Netherlands, 14.5%. The United Kingdom, 10.1%. Germany, 10%. The Euro area, 9.9%. Spain, 8.9%. Italy, 8.9%. Mexico, 8.7%. And then you have the United States at 8.2%. So is that great? No. But comparatively to other countries around the world on this global issue, America is actually leading the way here. And we cannot talk about inflation without speaking about corporate greed, which seems to be such a large cause of this inflation. We saw Katie Porter last week break it down absolutely brilliantly how much of every dollar of inflation is actually the result of corporations just raising their prices recklessly. And every time we hear about the profit margins of companies, especially oil and gas companies, you yep. see the stark difference. You see what's actually happening out there. And it's truthfully, it's mind blowing. Jordy, do you have the stats? Um, I, I saw yeah. the Shell report today. The Shell profits today were just astronomical. And I think it speaks directly to this corporate greed problem. And we have to put the blame on corporate greed for the prices that many Americans are experiencing right now. Right. You're spot on. I mean, it, it all comes down to corporate greed at the end of the day. And these oil companies are, are seeing record high profits. So Shell, for example, they reported an adjusted earnings of $9.45 billion for the third quarter. That's Billion. the second highest profit on record. So this comes off the heels of Shell's previous yeah, record-breaking. The, 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 the record-breaking was the previous quarter. <laughs> yeah, it was the previous quarter of $11.5 that it reported for the second quarter. Jeez. So I, it, it blows my mind when people just look at the situation and can identify that, hey, it's these corporate, it, it's Shell, it's these oil companies who, and it's these Republicans, frankly, who refuse to, to stop this price gouging at the pump. And it's insane Great to point. me. Can I, can, I, can I read you this? This headline by Reuters is just uh, ridiculous. And so then the Reuters headline is Shell reports drop in profit to 9.45 billion. Oh, come on. That's such I, a Reuters I, framing. That's, I kid oh you goodness. not. 
I kid you not. I'm just going to do it the the old fashioned way and just show you the phone. Like that's literally what oh it says. Shell reports yeah. drop in profit to 9.4. And you read the article and it goes, Shell on Thursday posted a third, a third quarter profit of 9.45 billion, slightly below the second quarter's record high due to weaker refining and gas trading. <laughs> Instead, it will sharply boost. Are you kidding me? Because Due to weaker refining and 9.45 billion. And they're trying and they're buying the spin to try to report it as a negative when it's all about price. But ben, read the next line. Was the next line about giving more dividends to stock buyers? more more stock buybacks it will sharply boost its dividend by the end of 2022 when its ceo departs so it probably will get a golden parachute worth probably half a billion dollars that, that's not what it says but that's my commentary the british oil and gas giant also extended its share repurchasing program announcing plans to buy four billion of stock over the next three months after completing six billion dollars in purchases in the second quarter um and as we as we talk about that and was as biden is talking about price gouging as biden has put our national security infrastructure our, our Department of uh, Defense, our Secretary of State, and we've activated everybody to basically reassess our relationship with Saudi Arabia for being responsible for cutting down on the amount of barrels of, of oil that is being produced intentionally to try to increase the price of crude per per barrel. But I want everyone to reflect on this as well. One of Donald Trump's parting gifts, and I say that sarcastically, of course, uh, to our country was a collusive relationship with Saudi Arabia and Russia to also artificially cut back uh, the amount of barrels of ga- of oil being produced so that they could jack up the prices and price gouge. And you can say, oh, it's proper. You're making that up. Okay. Can we pull up Donald Trump's actual statements? Because fortunately, his ridiculous tweets when he used to post on Twitter, it's one of the benefits of having that is that you could actually see his statements because um, he writes all of this stuff. But like, let's just look at what he wrote back in April of 2020. Just spoke to my friend MBS, Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, who spoke with President Putin of Russia. And I expect and hope that they will be cutting back approximately 10 million barrels and maybe substantially more, which, if it happens, will be great, all in caps, for the oil and gas industry. I'm going to read more, but Brett and Jordy, shouldn't that right there be disqualifying? Like, shouldn't that right there in, 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 in where we are, you are cheering on. Just think about the difference. You got Biden criticizing the oil companies who are making record profits for price gouging. You have Trump in one statement bragging about his relationship with the Saudis and Putin and the conversations to cut back on the production of oil by massive amounts to artificially increase profits for the gas and oil industry and screw over consumers. It's right in the freaking statement right there. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's a pretty damning statement. And I don't think he gets enough shit for that. Like, of a lot of the bad stuff Trump did, that's pretty bad uh, to be cutting back on our oil like that, especially these Republicans who act like, oh, bring it all in. Let's go. We need more. We need more oil. He goes, dot, dot, dot. Could be as high 
as 15 million as 15 million barrels good great news for everyone yeah i don't think it's great news for everybody and i think that that's why it's important that i think there needs to be more focus on why jared kushner scored two billion dollars from the saudi crown prince for his investments when he's never invested a day in his life i think how much money brett to a billion dollars, right? I think it's billion with a B. Um, you also had Kushner, just like a couple days ago, I saw a photo of him sitting in the front row at the Saudi uh, investment forum that was going on. I mean, he is like very good friends with the Saudis. Um, I think there has to be honestly some other things going on in the background where they are colluding on all of this. Um, but also the, right, the right, whole- right, but he's friends in the way that Trump is friends with the Saudis, which is- he thinks he's he thinks he's the man. No, right? no, he thinks for sure, that yeah. he's the shit. He thinks that he's like, yo, I've been invited the- to all these things. I get to fly. They are yeah, playing yeah. him like a fiddle. Like when MBS came here to the States during the, the Trump administration, he said, I've got Kushner in my pocket. And he bragged that Kushner gave him classified information about an enemies of the state to Saudi Arabia, who he swiftly killed. MBS was going all around town bragging about that that Jared Kushner is in his pocket. The same way that Trump's relationship with Putin was, you know, Putin's using you. You, you America is being used by these authoritarian despots because Donald Trump admires them. Even like Kim Jong-un, like Kim Jong-un, who the, the policy, the foreign policy is, that is a crazy individual. Isolate that individual. Treat that person like the crazy individual that they are. Minimize them. Isolate them. What does Trump do? Like exalts them. But I, I've got more. That's what Trump said. Having been involved in the negotiations, to put it mildly, the number that OPEC is looking to cut is 20 million barrels a day, not the 10 million that is generally being reported. If anything near this happens and the world gets back to business from the COVID-19 disaster, the energy industry will be strong again for faster than currently anticipated. Thank you all to those who worked with me on getting this very big business back on track, in particular, Russia and Saudi Arabia. Speechless. Yeah, well, during that shows you that during the pandemic, Donald Trump's priorities were not helping people during the pandemic, but were helping Saudi Arabia, Russia, and the oil companies get more profits because that was when the price of a barrel of oil plummeted. And that's why gas prices were so low then because people weren't traveling, people weren't leaving their homes. And so Donald Trump and his friends in OPEC wanted to artificially rig the market and raise the prices. Um, what we've seen, though, is as the prices have rose for uh, barrels of oil and dropped for prices of oil, what you're not seeing is an equal kind of give and take here. Oil prices per barrel are currently around $86 a barrel, while gas prices are close to like $4 a gallon, you know, maybe high threes. Um, in 2010, when oil was slightly over $85 a barrel, gas was under $3. So something is not sinking up here. Something something is not lining up here. And when you see these companies like Shell raking in the profits that Jordy was so excellent, excellently describing before and all the price hedging that we saw uh, very eloquently and the and the $4 billion in stock buybacks that they're having, you go, okay, that's where the money's going. That's where the money's going. And that's who Americans should be upset about right now. I mean, give me a break. 
A thousand percent. And it's just, I just want to reemphasize that, that initial point you made. Trump looked at the pandemic not as how can I help out as many Americans as possible, but how can this be economically advantageous to me and my family? And he used oil as one of those cruxes. Here, I no mean, let's let, let, let's be clear about like what Republicans are good at here, because I think it kind of is their entire playbook. They're good at playing on voters' primal fears at the end of the day. And the most primal fear that people have is safety. And they're trying to make this election a referendum on safety. And so if you're making an election a referendum on safety, part of what you have to do is make voters feel as unsafe as possible. And there's nothing more that the media loves than making people and making their viewers feel unsafe as well. I mean, you guys have watched the nightly news, right? You guys turn on the nightly news. Do they ever lead with like super positive stories or do they lead with a murder that happened, a car crash, a fire? Like that's what you're hearing in the, in the local media and the national media. That's what people see when they turn on the news. So if Republicans are able to weaponize this fear for your safety in order to lead in and bring in autocracy and fascism, they're going to play that. They're going to hype that up. They're going to make you feel as scared as possible. And the thing with the notion of safety is it's a thread between like a lot of different issues. Like you could attribute uh, and uh, inflation could be a safety issue, right? Will you have enough money in your pocket to be able to pay the bills, to take care of your family? Uh, crime, will you be the victim of crime if you go to the mall, if you go to a supermarket, if you go to the gas station? Will your kids' Skittles at Halloween have fentanyl in them and kill them upon impact? I mean, that's why you see these dishonest narratives constantly being repeated. And to be honest, I feel like this is what Republicans have run on since like the beginning of time. Like my whole life, Republicans have run on these kind of issues to scare people into voting for them. And it's, I think it's our job and not just like our job, Ben, Brett and Jordy, but our job as collective listeners here and as people who want to win elections and to take this country in a better direction to not just respond from like a place of defense here, but to also go on the offense and, and hold their feet to the fire and redefine the narrative to them. And we've seen these stats come out. I mean, the fact is, I think that so the, the top states with the highest homicide mortality rates are all Republican states, every single one, Everyone. Mississippi, Louisiana, <laughs> Alabama, Missouri, Arkansas, GOP states also have the highest infant mortality rates, hmm. highest rates of federal dependency, lowest educational outcomes, lowest quality of life indexes. You want to talk about the economy? I got some economy stats for you. Nine out of the 10 poorest states in America are red states. Not only that, let's extrapolate even further. 95 out of the 100 poorest counties are also red states. And over about 97%, yes, that's I'm not, not misspeaking here, over 97% of the roughly 50 million jobs created in this country since 1989 occurred under Democratic presidents. 97%. So those numbers don't lie. And we got to flip it on them, right? We got to say, why won't you protect our kids from gun violence? Gun violence is the leading cause of violent crime. Why won't you protect our kids from gun violence? Because of your radical gun policies, you're making it unsafe for us to go to the supermarket. You're making it unsafe for us to go to the movies. When we see this rise in crime, it's basically all gun related. Why are you banning books? and erasing our history. We're erasing the teaching of our history. Why do you want to inspect our kids' genitals at school? That's kind of a weird, disturbing thing that you're doing. Like, like, wh why do you want to do that? Why do you deny the reality of deadly pandemics and let Americans die who don't have to? Why are you taking away our social security net, our social safety net, stealing money from Medicare and social security that we paid into our whole lives? Why do you want to implement the same policies that we saw be an utter disaster in the United Kingdom under Liz Trust that were not only so bad that the economy collapsed, but that she actually had to resign from her position and now you are running on these same policies. Why do you think 
you should be in the room with my doctor making my decisions about my body. Why should you decide if my vote counts or doesn't count? Why are you refusing to take on price gougers who are making billions of dollars, if not trillions of dollars at our expense by artificially raising prices? This is the things that we need to go on the offense for against Republicans, because I think in all these aspects, we do have a compelling message. And it's important that we also tell other people, hey, inflation is a global issue. But it's a temporary issue. But losing your rights is forever. Losing this country to fascism is forever. And that's why it's important that you vote blue in this election. That's my I pitch. think Democrats. A, a plus, plus Brett, Brett Rand. Rand Jordy has Thank wrote a note. A plus Brett Rand. Thanks, Jay. I, and I think Democrats have done a better job uh, this election cycle doing that. Um, and I think when you see like the way Charlie Crist uh, debated DeSantis, you go to the Oklahoma debate, for example, you, you go to the Val Demings Rubio debate. I could go on and just list a number of them, too, though, but actually confronting the candidate that what the Republicans are saying is just an absolute lie and that actually it's them who are projecting and they are the ones who are far worse at addressing these issues than the lies that they try to claim to try to scare people. And I think there's really four reasons why you have in Republican-led states those statistics that you have, Brett. And it's actually similar to their response to the COVID uh, pandemic when you think about it, because you know the here are the four steps I think about why Republican state-led states just completely fail. There's probably more. Um, the first thing they do is they pretend it doesn't exist because they're completely incompetent. So they act like this isn't even a real thing that exists. If we just don't talk about it, then it won't even exist. Then they're racist and they scapegoat someone or they're xenophobic. They, once they have to address it, it's not a systemic issue that requires surgical response. It is somebody's fault. So mm -hmm. just blame whoever it is. And then there's no solutions that are offered at all. But the only thing that they then use the crisis to do is to funnel money to millionaires and billionaires. So that, to me, is the cycle of what takes place um, in states read by, led by Republican-led administrations, as well as when there's Republican-led control of our government. And then they don't fix it. And then they create a bigger problem. And then a Democratic administration comes in, fixes it. You see the stats of a Democratic administration fixing it. And then because it's hard to fix it, they go, oh, aren't we really doing this is exhausting. They look at all the, these issues that they're creating. It's like, no, you created the fire. You're the arsonist. You shouldn't be the firefighter to put it out. And that's the cycle that you have there. I do want to talk about some of the debates that have happened recently because some some really interesting developments there. Um, and I do want to talk as well about early voting statistics. Uh, but first, I want to mention as well that if you support independent media like this, you should check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. We are not funded by millionaires or billionaires. We have no outside investors at all. In fact, we are fully funded by you. That is it. And so if you want to help out, I always get asked by our viewers and listeners, what can I do to help out? Here's really what you can do. Go to patreon.com slash Midas Touch, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Midas Touch. You can join one of the membership packages there. Um, it comes with exclusive content, exclusive podcasts, exclusive Q&As. In one of the packages, you could become an honorary producer of the Midas Touch podcast, and your name actually will appear on this podcast 
podcast on the YouTube video um, at the end of the episode. So you can, uh, that's a great one. You get a poster saying you're an honorary producer. You get postcards from me and the brothers. It's a lot of great content, but most importantly, no matter where you are in the world, you always ask, what can you do? Patreon.com slash Midas Touch. And also check out store.midastouch.com for the best pro-democracy gear. We got Row Row Your Vote Show. Jordy, still flash sale 30% off? Still flash sale, 30% off. Let's keep it going. Flash sale, 30% off on Row Row Your Vote shirts and Rovember shirts. Get them right now. You can still get them in time for the election, those shirts. So Row Row Your Vote, Rovember. Go to store.midastouch.com. We've also got Convict and and Convict 45 shirts and more store.midastouch.com. Of course, person, woman, man, camera, prison shirt. Check (laughs) us out there. And then make sure you subscribe on the YouTube channel if you are an audio listener. If you are a YouTube watcher, go subscribe on the audio. Go search Midas Touch Podcast. Please leave a five-star review. Hit the subscribe button on audio as well. That helps with the algorithm. Make sure you're subscribed on both platforms and that you listen on both platforms. That helps as well. And of course, just share our videos. That's one of the best things you can do is share our videos and share this podcast with people. I love that the Midas Mighty community continues to grow, and I'm so grateful for each and every one of you. I want to talk about that Fetterman-Oz debate, Mm -hmm. and I'll give you my take on it. I mean, obviously, Fetterman's recovering from a stroke, and... He obviously can't speak as good as he once uh, was able to. Uh, It was obviously a struggle for him. Um, But I thought it was just incredibly courageous for him Mm -hmm. to do that. And uh, he's recovering. um, But Oz will always be the way he is. That's how Oz has been. That's how Oz has been his entire life. And look, would I say that Fetterman gave this really smooth, impressive uh, debate performance of, of course he didn't. I mean, he was someone who was up there. I mean, I try to put myself in, in his shoes. It's hard to debate in general, That debate format. Also the way the questions were kind of coming at them, the questioner too was kind of rapid fire with some of those questions. You have rapid fire questions. You have, they give you like 30 seconds to answer and he has to read them off a a teleprompter that's being typed by a human who could also be writing things incorrectly or writing things slowly and stuff. So that 30 seconds of time is probably even less time than that. Sometimes in these debates, Brett, like there's like a little bit of a setup to the question. Like the the debate, they were throwing Very direct, you're right. Like they were kind of throwing them like rapid fire, like sh- and good questions, but just short, quick, boom, questions, answer. And, you know, I, I thought he answered the questions as best as he could. I mean, on the substance of the issues, it's obvious that he is someone who is compassionate and caring mm-hmm. and is on the right side of the issues for Pennsylvanians. So if right. you're voting on the issues, that's the case. And he's someone who has a lot of integrity. That was clear as well. Um, from from it, that he's a person of high integrity, that he's always fought for people of Pennsylvania. You know, and it's very, very different, too, when you see someone like a Herschel Walker who str- who struggles in his own way, who, does, in my view, is not someone of high integrity, who's not fought for people of Georgia and who's engaged in all this bad conduct and consistently lied during the debate. So any of that comparison, I reject as out of hand because it's completely different. And then also you have a big difference here in the sense that I think that Fetterman didn't win the debate, but Oz lost the debate. 
That's how I view it. And Oz lost the debate specifically in this one moment um, where he said that it should be the local politicians who make the decisions for a woman's right to choose. It should be a decision between the woman and her local politician. Here, play this clip. I want women, doctors, local political leaders, letting the democracy that's always allowed our nation to thrive, to put the best ideas forward so states can decide for themselves. It's a very scary statement to make. It's I disturbing. Mean, you know, it, it is, there's, I can mock the statement, of course, and be like how, I'm, you know, he, he flubbed it or he didn't. That is actually how he feels. That is how the Republicans feel. They believe that that decision should be a woman asks permission from Oz or Doug Mastriano or J.D. Vance. That is actually what they want. These like wannabe fascist weirdo men who have these hateful views of women. They hate women. Let's just call it what it is. They want to be the ones who get asked permission and ultimately they deny it. They want to be the ones that, that you have to come to them. You got to come to Dr. Oz. You got to come to whoever and ask the local politician for permission and they deny it. And then they want to take all of your freedoms and all of your rights away from you. And, you know, he really said the silent part out loud there. That is how they feel. That is what their policy is. And by the way, the local politicians have made the decision already. They've predetermined that decision also. And that decision is a woman does not have the right to choose, regardless of exceptions, regardless of rape and incest and age. They, they don't care. A woman does not have the right of bodily autonomy, and they will get arrested if they do try to exercise any modicum of autonomy over their reproductive rights, if they try to travel, if they try to do anything. It is such a dystopian view. I thought I was really watching. I wouldn't believe that line if it was on The Handmaid's Tale, Brett. No, I mean, it's 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 disgusting. And, you know, it's Oz is one of these people who A, knows better and B, knows he's just lying. Like he's, he's flat out lying. I don't believe this is something that he actually believes. And he's putting people's lives at risk for power at the end of the day. And speaking of those local political leaders, I mean, one of them is kind of running alongside Dr. Oz there in Pennsylvania there, Jordy, Doug Mastriano. That Terrifying. he's a state senator in Pennsylvania. You want Doug Mastriano and, and people of his ilk to decide what you get to do with your body. And I love this whole notion that, and I say that sarcastically, of what people like Dr. Oz and, and these Republicans, how they try to argue like Democrats want abortion after birth. Like first, I don't even know what that means. You, you mean they're going to murder a kid? I I, I don't like What is abortion after birth? I truthfully don't know what they're talking about and why they say that constantly. It's like the most ridiculous talking point on the planet. But the fact is, is that we had established guidelines under Roe v. Wade. That's why you had President Biden the other day when they said, what restrictions are you OK with? And he said, Roe v. Wade, read it, man. We had we've established this. We had this established for decades and decades and decades. And Dr. Oz, the debate also tried to challenge Fetterman on that and say, well, what's the, what, what, what are the exceptions? What are the and Fetterman said, Roe. Roe v. Wade, that's the exception. Mm -hmm. And that is the right answer. I mean, that, that is something that has been established precedent in this country for 50 years. I think that is a very fair compromise between all the parties here. We had this established. Republicans are the ones who destroyed it.
And I can speak to this on a personal level as someone who, who lives in Pennsylvania, who's newly married, who wishes to have a, a family at some point. If God forbid we have to make the decision, if there are complications with my wife's pregnancy down the line, I don't want Dr. Oz. I don't want any politician making a decision on behalf of the livelihood of my, of my wife. No, that's between her and her doctor to help see what's best, best for her. It's such a terrifying thought that, oh, let's, let's bring in a local political leader here to, to uh, have the final say. Like that, it's so dystopian. And, and it's, it's dystopian. Who do you well, call the mayor, that, the local postman? Uh... <laughs> when you say, Brett? So who do you call up? The mayor, your local state senator? The, yeah, uh, and the, Brett, local... the one thing that I would disagree with you on, she, Jordi, I don't just disagree with you on, is where you say Oz knows better. And I presume you say that because he's a doctor and that he would appear based on a resume to have qualifications. But I don't think he knows better. He's been a very disturbing doctor his entire career when you actually look at what he did, you know, I mean, from even talking about like drinking urine and how he drinks people's pee to, <laughs> you know, experiments with with puppies that result in, in killing a puppies. Mm. He denies that that takes place, but they lie about uh, everything um, and all of the fake uh, miracle cures that he sold and he couldn't even stand before the debate and even like admit that he sold these things like, oh, those are just commercials. It's like you're in the commercials. You're the one selling those things. Like it's it's you. It's not just like a random commercial taking place on your show. He doesn't have any integrity to admit it, but we made a video uh, here at the Midas Touch Network um, for the uh, political action arm of what we do, and it's called Rovember is Coming, and I want to show that video right now that was played recently. Do we have the video, Brett, Rovember is Coming? The Supreme Court of the United States has held Roe versus Wade that a fetus is not a person. It's an important precedent of the Supreme Brett Court. Brett Kavanaugh. It, I mean, Roe v. Wade. Roe versus Wade clearly held Amy that Coney the Constitution Barrett. protected a woman's right to terminate a pregnancy. Do you accept that? That's the law of the land. I accept the law of the land, Senator. Yes. The Supreme Court ending constitutional protection for abortions by overturning Roe versus Wade. With a conservative majority, including those three justices appointed by former President Trump, voting to overturn nearly 50 years of precedent. They knew that if they were honest, they wouldn't get the job, so they lied. The time for empty talk is over. Now arrives the hour of action. The decision set in motion trigger bans in 13 states. And at least eight of the trigger law states do not have exceptions for rape or incest. We had a 10-year-old get raped in Ohio and then had to go to Indiana to get an abortion. The Attorney General of Indiana said he is now looking into potentially prosecuting the doctor who provided the abortion and, quote, gathering evidence. In Georgia, a doctor or healthcare worker, an EMT, could go to prison for 10 years if they are found to have participated in an abortion. Louisiana advancing legislation that would allow prosecutors there to charge those who get abortions or provide them with homicide. Anyone who performs an abortion in Texas can face life in prison. So if a 13-year-old, though, in Arkansas is raped by a relative, that 13-year-old cannot get an abortion in Arkansas. Are you comfortable with that? Uh Republican legislators planning ways to keep people who live in states where abortions are banned from crossing state lines to get the procedure. One Republican senator said the bill would lead to abortion tourism. 
Can you imagine? In South Dakota, where abortions are now banned, Republican Governor Kristi Noem has introduced a bill to stop women from accessing abortion pills online. The Republican candidate for Senate in New Hampshire wants to ban in vitro fertilization. But you have to ban it. 195 House Republicans voted against the right to contraception act. And now today they've blocked it in the Senate as well. Republican Senator Lindsey Graham sent shockwaves through both parties today, introducing a nationwide abortion ban. If we take back the House and the Senate, I can assure you we'll have a vote on our bill. If they win control of Congress, Republicans will be trying to ban abortion in all 50 states. Register and vote. And together we shall give them a November that shall never, ever be forgotten. Remember, remember the 8th of November. Vote them out. I honestly, Special I think shout I... out to the Goldberg brothers who uh, helped make that uh, video. The great production team of the Goldberg brothers who works with the Midas Touch pack arm of what we do. Um, and Brett, as we look at uh, that video, what we're talking about with Oz is it break break down maybe if you can brett the data right now that we have about early voter turnout because we talked about on the last podcast there's a lot of polls out there which frankly are all over the place and we talked about i don't want to belabor it on this podcast about all of these right-wing polls that are kind of flooding the market and i think it was like for every uh, seven or six polls out there. It was like six Republican polls to one Democratic poll. And we have to remember these polls, a lot of these polls are taken with uh, agendas and by groups with agendas, um, but some aren't. Um, but to me, where I'm focused on is the data. I want to know where are we right now with early voter turnout compared to other years and then what is expected to occur on election day that to me is far more valuable than anything else yeah um but uh, not, not to belabor the point once again but speaking about those polls i think there was a lot of attention last week focused on these polls that shifted away from Democrats that showed these like five point swings towards the Republicans. And they were like the, some of the bigger polls, some of the more nonpartisan polls like the YouGov America poll and the Morning Consult Politico poll. However, uh, this week they all swung back in the Democrats direction in a huge way, like the generic congressional ballot poll for Morning Consult and Politico is back to being plus five Democrat. The uh, YouGov America, the Economist poll is now back to being plus four Democrat. And you just don't see the same media attention being taken on the polls that are actually showing positive news for the Democrats as he did when they showed negative news to the Democrats last week. But like you said, Ben, we got to dig into the actual data that's happening out there right now. According to the Georgia Secretary of State's office, turnout through day nine of early voting in 2022 this year is 1.23 million people. In comparison to 2020 at this point, it was 1.17 million people. So basically right now in line with that of a presidential year, which is really unusual for a midterm and shows incredibly strong turnout. If we want to now compare that to a midterm year, 2018, you had 1.12 million people voting now this year. In 2018, 634,000. So nearly double 
the amount of people have voted at this point in this midterm, showing you the passion that is out there right now. We also have updates from the U.S. Elections Project, which says that more than 14.08 million early votes have been cast nationwide. And a very promising poll from the Harvard Youth Poll, which says 40 percent of 18 to 29 year olds will, quote, definitely vote in the midterms, which is on track to match or potentially exceed the record-breaking 2018 youth turnout in a midterm. And it's also worth noting, of course, that young voters prefer Democratic control of Congress by a wide margin, 57% to 31%. So that's great news right there. That's great momentum that is not in polling, but is actually in people showing up to the polls, actually voting, which is incredibly important distinction to make. We have a lot of good news heading in as we approach this final week towards the election. Good news about the economy, good news about gas prices, a good outlook for inflation, and much more. And so that's all incredibly important. And now it's really at the end of the day, it's up to us. So, you know, like my, uh, Jordy said, my A plus rant, thank you, Jordy, earlier said, we need to be putting Republicans on the defense here. We need to stay on the offense and we need to be proud of the policies that have moved America forward. Because when I, I love that when Republicans throw out like, are you better off today than you were uh, two years ago when Donald Trump was? But absolutely, absolutely, without hesitation, <laughs> are we better? The economy was in the absolute trash. People were locked in their homes. Thousands and thousands of people were dying every single day. OK, gas was cheap. It's because we couldn't leave our homes. We couldn't go to the store. We couldn't go out or hang with friends and family. That wasn't a democratic thing. Trump was president. That was happening in all states. So I don't want to hear it. Yes, we are infinitely better now. People have short attention spans. Remind them of that. Remind them of the true threats to democracy that Republicans are unleashing on this country and all the good that Democrats are doing here and 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 that we are the pro-normal party here. We are the pro-normal coalition. I love when Adam Frisch uh, said that, that said that in his race against Lauren Boebert for Congress. We are the pro-normal party and the pro-normal coalition, and we cannot let this country be hijacked by these crazy extremists. There's no, there's no doubt about it. And I just want to bolster the stats that you just provided, Brett. And this is from Simon Rosenberg, who we're going to have uh, on the podcast because I want him to break it down. Um, and he's an advisor to the DCCC and, and other places. And he says, uh, take a look at the latest target early data. Republicans had a 250,000 vote advantage at this point in 2018. As of today, Democrats have a 1.9 million vote advantage today. Not enough attention to significance advantage of Dem party-wide embrace of early vote. No one has covered a midterm like this before. And look, I, I don't want to get complacent with this data. I don't want you to go, oh, this is great. No, vote, 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 vote. Get everyone that you know to vote. Like that's the thing. The right-wing extremists are spreading conspiracies and they hate to vote. Their whole message is that voting isn't real and it doesn't matter and it's all BS and they rather go to these weird rallies than actual vote. We have to go out there and vote. And here's the thing, too. Like, Brett, this is important data, you know, and I'm glad that we're sharing it with our followers and supporters here, you know, but the media should be covering this data. You know, I'd worry if they covered it, though, that it could potentially inspire more Republicans to go out and realize how significant of a problem this is. But the media would be doing a good job to actually cover this versus all of the other, you know, bad polls and other things that they're showing. But 
you got to focus on what the data is saying right now. The data can change tomorrow. The data can change the day after. So we have to follow these trends. But this is this is the most important thing that I'm seeing now is this 1.9 million vote advantage today versus Republicans having a 250,000 mm. vote advantage the exact same time as today in the midterms of 2018. And now we know there are differences with who votes by mail now versus who voted by mail then. And traditionally, the whole thing with mail votes is that in the Republican states, they wanted to make it easier to vote by mail because typically Republicans were the ones who voted by mail. And so it was actually them pushing the vote by mail stuff and that let's make it you know easy to vote by mail because they wanted people to vote by mail. And then when they realized, oh, wait, now other people, this can make it easier for people, then they changed their whole view. Because they don't want people to vote. They only want it. They only want it when it supports them. But we need like we're organized. We're mobilized. And for all the people who are watching this, like you can actually play a part in helping the Democrats win this thing, which for me is the pro-democracy coalition winning this thing like you can do it. And the way you can do it right now is you can text a message and reach out to anybody you know who you believe will vote blue or is persuadable to vote blue, which is a vote for pro-democracy. Reach out to all of those people for real after watching this and ask them, have you voted? Please vote and, and follow up. Treat it like it's the, one of the most important things you can do from now until the election is doing that. Please, like you could be, just think about it. With the audience we have here between the podcast and the people who watch on YouTube, I mean, that number comes, you know, sometimes can be about a quarter of a million, um, you know, and we get, you know, millions of views each day on YouTube, but about a quarter of a million will watch this. And it's an active audience. So just mm -hmm. imagine if each of you can do five or 10 people, can get five or 10 people to vote. Just think about what that means with the numbers that we already have with one point. I mean, think about like we could actually do it here. Like this community can be the difference maker of how to do it. So just go tell people to vote, 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 vote. I can't stress it enough. Now is the time to channel all that energy that we have as a community and go and vote. I do want to tell you all. One way you can help grow this community as well to support independent programming like this is check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Midas Touch. Go help us out there. I'd really, really appreciate you always ask, how can you help? That's one of the ways you can help. Don't worry if you can't, if you can't do it. But if you can, please, it goes a long way. Patreon.com slash Midas Touch. Join one of those membership tiers. And there's lots of exclusive content, lots of great stuff there. We did a Q&A on there the other day, Ben. That was awesome. We did our first Q&A on, on, the, on the Patreon. That was really sweet. Great Q&A. We interact with people there. You know, it's, we, we, we really do. But most importantly, it will help grow this platform because we're not funded by any outside investors. And so we rely on your generosity. So please check out patreon.com slash Midas Touch. Also check out store.midastouch.com for the best pro-democracy gear out there. That's store.midastouch.com. We have a 30% flash sale 
on the row row your vote shirts and the rovember shirts so go get it now you can still get it in time for the election if you get it today row row your vote and rovember shirts and we also have the convict and convict 45 we've got a number of other great items there so check it out at store.midastouch.com make sure you subscribe make sure you're spreading the word about midas touch that's how you can help as well spread the word about midas touch uh, subscribe on audio and youtube Make sure you're subscribed on both. Leave a five-star review on uh, the audio. Leave comments below. I like reading your comments. So make sure you comment as well on YouTube. And uh, we really appreciate it. Let's keep fighting together. Brett, any final words before tossing it to Jordy? No final words. I just want to toss it to Jordy and see if Jordy has any parting words, any messages of encouragement for the Midas Mighty before he signs us off. Anything, Jake? I just want to say we got this. We got this. You got this. We got this. One team. Shout out to the Midas Mighty! At Midas Touch, we are unapologetically pro-democracy and we demand justice and accountability. That's why we're spreading our message to Convict 45. That's right, gear up right now with your Convict 45 tees and pins at store.midastouch.com. That's store.midastouch.com.